Welcome to the Community Church Podcast. This is week 11, the final week of our series, Chosen Royalty, where we've been studying the book of Ephesians. Today, Pastor Mike will be teaching from Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. If you'd like to take notes, there's a link for that in the show notes. Thanks for joining us, and without further ado, here's Pastor Mike. You know, I believe that there is great power in prayer. Unquestionably, prayer changes things. It changes us more than anything else. But even as I affirm that great truth, I I don't want to ever become simplistic in how we view prayer. And and give you an example, maybe sometimes we could take a great passage and, and kind of just throw it out there too simplistically. Great passage on prayer, Philippians 4, 6, tells us this, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What a great promise. You know, all of us struggle with worry and anxiety. And in the middle of that, God says, okay, here's an antidote for the anxiety. We don't need to struggle with that. We can bring everything before God. We can give everything to him. And when we do, here's the promise. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Again, what a great promise. Instead of anxiety, we can have the peace of God that surpasses understanding, meaning that if there's someone who doesn't have a relationship with God, they would look at that and they would say, I don't understand how you can have peace. I don't understand. It's beyond my ability to comprehend. And that will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What a great promise. But can I make an honest confession? You might think that I'm kind of unspiritual here. Um, There have been times that I faced big crises in life, and I've looked to God in prayer. I've sought him out. I've prayed about it sometime for an extended period of time, and, and I finish up the prayer, and I'm still worried. I'm still anxious. There have been times that I've prayed, and I haven't sensed that peace of God that I'm being promised. Now, I know that God's word is true. I know that this is a promise that I should believe, so what's wrong? It's not that God fails. I'm, am I unspiritual? Do I have some sin problem in my life? See, one of the uh, dangers when we look at a great promise like this is that sometimes we face a crisis, and and we can quote it in a simplistic way, you know, well, just pray, don't be anxious about anything. God's going to give you the peace. And then we pray, and it doesn't happen right away. And, And when that doesn't happen right away, suddenly, what happens? We almost, well, we become anxious about the fact that we're anxious. You know, I'm worried about the fact that I'm worried, and and should I feel guilty? And, you know, did God let me down somehow, or somehow, you know, have I failed? And and not only that, but then I don't want to admit that I'm anxious, because if I tell other people that I'm really anxious and worried, then they're going to think that something's wrong with me, and I'm spiritual, so I kind of keep it to myself. I hide it, and I struggle. And the fact is, we've got to say, first of all, this is something we all struggle with, even pastors, You know, this is is something that, again, we can't just make this simple and, okay, this always works this way. We've got to be honest with this in the midst of our struggle, that this is an antidote, but it's a process. And part of that is that we realize that it's not like, well, if I pray one time and even for an extended period of time, it's going to change me right away. If I pray over time, God over time does change me. But there's also something else. You see, because I can, again, take this passage and read it very simplistically and miss something in it. Because it's not only telling me that, okay, don't be anxious, but bring everything to God. It's also telling me how to bring it to God, how I'm supposed to pray. And if I don't understand how I'm supposed to pray, I'm going to miss something about the peace that he promises me as a result. 
Now, you say, okay, what's this have to do with, with what we're looking at this morning in Ephesians 3? What we're going to see is that what Philippians 4 teaches about how we're to pray is very much the same thing that Paul now teaches at the end of Ephesians 3 about how we're to pray. Ephesians 3 is this great prayer where it says, okay, if you're going to struggle to believe these things and ask God to give you what you don't have, and, and this is how we do it. But we're not just supposed to do that. We're supposed to do it in a way that is defined here. It's, we, again, we looked at uh, the first part of this last week in verses 14 through 19 for those that are with us in this great prayer. We didn't really look at verses 20 and 21. And, and, but what we've got to see is that verses 20, 21, this great benediction, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can think or imagine, is a continuation of the prayer in verses 14 through 19. In fact, for us to understand it, I almost need to step back and take a few minutes to look back at, at verses 14 through 19 and to see and remember the context so we see how it all fits together. Now, what was 14 and 19 about? It's all about this great prayer that God, you know, has been, been teaching us throughout Ephesians, these blessings that we have in Christ. And he says, okay, you need to pray that you would learn to believe what you know. Again, through the first three chapters of Ephesians, everything that Paul has been talking about is, is all the blessings that we have as a result of our relationship with Christ. If you have a relationship, if you're a follower of Christ, these are the blessings, some of them. You know, you are chosen before the foundation of the world. You are predestined by God to be adopted as his child. You are forgiven and redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And, and that whole picture of even being redeemed, that Jesus died on the cross, if you want to know how loved you are, when you understand that Jesus gave his life on the cross to redeem you for your sins, how could you possibly dream of being more loved than that? And not only that, now you are God's child. You are a co-heir with Jesus Christ. You've been given the Holy Spirit as a seal of that promised inheritance that we'll one day receive. And these are all things that Paul has been teaching and things that therefore, in a sense, we should know. But then we look at Paul's prayer here at the end of chapter 3, and it's obvious that he's saying, okay, these are things that you should know, but now I'm praying that you know the things that you should know. And the heart of his prayer is he's saying, these are things that you may know in your mind, but now I'm praying that you go deeper and that you understand them at the core of your being, that you go from, in a sense, knowing to really believing. Look what he prays. If you have your Bibles, look at verse 16. He prays that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And what he's saying is here's these great truths, and it's one thing to know that, to study it, to understand it theologically in a sense. It's another thing to really know it in your inner being. When he talks about your inner being, he's talking about your soul your heart of hearts, the thing that makes you you, the thing that's the deepest part of your personality, the core of your being. And he's saying it's one thing to understand something and know it here. It's another thing to really experience it so that it's real at the core of our being. In a sense, we could say there's this gap between our, our theology and our functional belief. Our theology is what we know to be true, what we know about God. Our functional belief is what we really, really believe in this inner being. Now, one way to tell if we, it's something that's just theological or if it's something we really believe is look at our actions. You see, when we really believe something in our inner being, we're going to always act as if it's true. 
If it's just something we believe theologically, then what happens is when we have a moment of crisis, when we have a temptation, when we have some kind of problem, we're going to act as if it's not true. Now, a good example of this where we probably all struggle is that we know in our mind that God is sovereign, that God is good, that God has a plan, that God is in control of everything in life. We know in our mind promises like Romans 8:28 that he causes all things to work for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We know that. But what happens when we face crisis? Do you worry? Do you have doubts? Do you struggle? And when crisis, we, we suddenly were worried. We're worried about the direction of the country. We're direct, worried about the war in Ukraine. And we're worried about our finances. We're worried about our family. We're worried about our health. We're worried, we're worried as if God isn't in control. So we believe that he is, but then we act as if he isn't. Why? Because I know it, but I really don't know it. I really don't believe it. And the fact is, we all struggle with this to some degree. That's part of what we're saying. This is not something that is like, okay, well, you know, if you're immature, this is your issue. No, this is all of us. Remember, this is a prayer that Paul is praying for Christians. And what that means is that Paul is praying this. He's saying, okay, most, if not all, followers of Christ, we're going to struggle with this to some degree. All of us are going to have things that we know to be true, and yet we really don't know them at the core of our being. And we know that we were loved by God. We, we know this identity, but we really, really don't believe it because we act as if it's not true. So what, Paul is, what is he calling us to? What are we called to do? Is it just try harder? Study scripture, memorize, read books, you know, try to believe these things. Have you ever tried to make yourself believe something? It doesn't work. What is, it's not what Paul is calling us to do. What is he calling us to do? The whole prayer is focused on God giving us things that we don't have, that God would give us strength and ability that aren't ours. Look at again at the prayer. Let me even put this up here. He prays that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power, not our own power, but his power, that he would give us power we don't have through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend. Again, from God, he gives us what we do not have, the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, to know something that is unknowable. Again, what is that? That's God giving us what we do not have. He's not saying, Pray for God's help to, to somehow figure this out on your own. No, admit that you cannot do it and then pray that God would give you the ability to, to do what you cannot do. It's literally saying, how do we grow in this faith? It's, it's through grace. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. We often think that, okay, you know, well, if I'm going to do this, I need to perform it. I need to have the faith. I need to somehow pull it up in myself or make myself to understand but that's a works mindset. It's about performing for God. How does a person become a follower of Christ? Well, the Bible's clear on that for those that, that know. Paul himself said it a little earlier in, in Ephesians 2. Look what he said. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the re result of works so that no one can boast. We are saved by grace, by unmerited favor. Not by works. If we think that we try to accomplish it, we'll never accomplish it. We'll always fall short. So what do we have to do? We have to admit our need. We have to come and say, God, I admit I'm a, I'm a sinner. I admit that I need you. 
and that you have shown me grace through Jesus Christ who died on the cross for, for my sins. At the cross, he took my sin. He took the penalty of my sin. I admit that I need that, and I ask you by grace to forgive me, to, 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 to take my sins, to forgive me forgiveness, to give me Jesus' righteousness, to make me right before God. That's how it be, we become a follower of Christ. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ, this isn't about religion. It isn't about performance. It isn't about trying hard, be good, clean yourself up. It's about, God, I admit that I am, I'm a sinner. I admit that I'm needy. And I throw myself at your mercy and ask you to give me what I could never accomplish on my own. And God invites you to do that today. Now, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we need to realize that that's not only how we come to follow Christ, but that's also how we grow. You see, we don't then we're not saved by grace and then grow by our works or by our being good or trying hard enough. No, we grow by grace, by admitting our need, what we cannot do, and asking God to be able to do in us that which we can never do on our own. That's the whole idea of this prayer. What it's all about is it's teaching us that we need to pray that God would give us what we don't have. You know, this whole prayer is that he would grant us to be strengthened with his power, that he would do this. He's saying, start by admitting, God, I have this need. God, I'm, I'm struggling. I can't do it for myself. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm trying. I, I read your word and it says that I'm valuable and I don't think that I'm valuable. When you're struggling to believe that you're important and valuable, you know, you start crying out, God, I, I can't believe that. Help me. Give me what I do not have. When, when all I hear is the messages from my past of parents or people that have been in my life that criticize me and tell me I'm a failure, and I've been replaying that tape in my mind endlessly to say, God, I can't get beyond that. Give me what I don't have. And what we do is we admit our, our, our weakness, we admit our failure and say, God, I need you to do this miracle only by your strength. All I do is I bring my need. That's the whole message of, of, of verses of the prayer in 14 through 19. Now, what then is the relation for verses 20 and 21? Because then we see that, we see verse 20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to his power that is worked within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever, and amen. Now, great. Great benediction, powerful benediction. But how does it fit into the whole prayer that he's just prayed? You see, it's not just something that's tacked on at the end. And sometimes we almost treat it that. But what we've got to remember is the Bible is incredibly precise in everything that it says. I believe that every passage, every verse has a purpose. And it's organized in a way to be able to teach this, this, this thought that grows from it, that's linked and that grows. And so when we look at this benediction, it's not just this unrelated closing thought, like, man, there's a great thing here, let me just do God's prayer and go to the next idea. No, it's actually something that's building on everything that Paul has been saying up until this point. It's the end of the prayer that, that, that's teaching something about the whole prayer. Now, what is it about? And let me just introduce this idea, and then we're going to explore it. What the Bible teaches is that when we pray, anytime we pray, a vital part of it has to be praise. And the reason is this, is that usually when we come and we're praying and we're bringing our requests, we're praying for some kind of need, what happens is the challenge, we can become so focused on our need, we're spending all our time telling God, God, here's my need, here's my problem, and, and we become overwhelmed by the problem, not by God. 
So I'm praying to God, but, but at the end of my prayer, the, the, the thing that's most real in my mind is the problem because that's what I've been spending all the time talking about. And so what he's saying is that when we come to God with requests, we need to have time with praise and thanksgiving as part of our prayer because it's a way of, in a sense, changing our focus. Yes, we bring all our needs before God, but at the same time, we need to realize that our primary focus isn't just our problem. We want to remember that the focus of our prayer should be God. That when I walk away, I should be hopeful in God and His power, not overwhelmed by the overwhelming problem that I face. My friends, this is a really important point that a lot of us really struggle with. And I think it's because we struggle with this that we struggle to really understand the peace of God that surpasses all understanding that's promised in in Philippians 4. In fact, to make this point, let me go to Philippians 4, 6. Let's look at that passage and what it teaches because, again, what we're going to see is it's teaching the same idea as being taught here in Ephesians 3. It's teaching us about the importance of praise in prayer. Now, it's a great passage. First of all, we see it very obviously. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything in prayer and petition, let your request be made known to God. That's saying that whatever your concern, bring it before God. God's concerned. I talk to people all the time, and, oh, I have a word. We pray to God. Well, he's not worried about that. He's not, you know, I don't want to bother him. Like, God's going to be bothered. But not only that, you're missing something. You know why God wants you to bring your request before him? Because he's he's your loving father. I think about my kids when they were little especially. It was amazing the things that they fell in love with, the things that were important to them. I had one son, he had this little tiny rubber duck that was about this big that for some reason he just loved. It was vitally important to him. But because it was this big, he would forget it all the time. And so we would stop somewhere and he'd forget it. And then you're driving 15 minutes back to go find it. There's one time we went to a, a movie and he forgot it in a movie theater and we left and he suddenly realized, my ducky, he's crying. And, you know, some, I'm illegal, you know, don't confess in here. You know, I'm, I'm waiting at the entrance and people are coming out the next movie. I slip in underneath, not to see the movie, but to get into back to the theater to get his ducky. And uh, now why was I doing that? Because it was, the ducky was valuable? No, it wasn't. It was to him. And because it was important to him, it was important to me. Now, does that make me a good dad? Sneaking into the theater? Probably not. Okay, but, but caring about the things that are important to him, for those of you who are parents and grandparents, does that make you a good parent? Now, let me ask you a question. Is God a good parent? And if you look at that and you say, well, I'm a good parent because I care about the things that my kids care about, why do you think that God is a worse parent than you are? Why do you think that God isn't concerned about your ducky? Why do you think that, well, this is too little. God is, I don't want to bother God with it. Hey, my my son had no problem bothering me when he forgot his little rubber ducky, and I was glad to be able to meet that need for him. God loves you more than you love any of your children, and my friends, he wants to be involved in every concern he invites us to. So bring every concern before him. But even as we bring those concerns before him, look at how it teaches us we're supposed to do it. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, every request, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Now, here's the way we often read this. We take out words unintentionally. The way we often read it is, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, let your request be made known to God. 
That's what we often read. Now, we're taking out words there. Let me put them back and give you the emphasis here. Look what it's saying. Don't be anxious about anything, but, but by prayer and supplication, that's the requests, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So here's how we're to do it. We're to let our requests, our supplication, but surround it by prayer and thanksgiving. That's how we pray. Now, what is prayer? Prayer is a general, when it says it, it's using this general term of worship, that we have conversation and worship with God. So he's saying, when we come with supplication, don't just bring the request, but take time to praise and worship him. Remember who he is, and not only that, but take time to thank him. So instead of just saying, God, here's my need, and can you meet it? Take time to remember that he's met your needs. Take time to remember his goodness that he's shown over, over the course of years because it helps move our focus not only from what we haven't received to remembering all the blessings that he's done and his trustworthiness. So now here's the key issue. When we pray, what is our defining reality? Meaning this, when we pray, the question is, what is the thing that is most real to me? See, if I do and just take that one passage and with the idea of saying, okay, don't be anxious about anything, but with everything, just pray, then I, what happens is that I spend a lot of my time, I'm gonna come to God and I spend 99% of my time telling God about my need. And, and it's almost like if I could use an illustration, you know, it's like, okay, here's my problem. And I've got this problem and I say, okay, God, this is my problem. And man, it just is, you know, it's just right here. It's all I can see. And suddenly I'm, I'm coming and I'm saying, okay, God, well, let's talk about the problem. And all I'm doing is that I'm telling God about the problem. You know, it's right in front of me. It might be more like this. You know, it just is literally blinding me. So it's kind of everything I've got. Now, if all I'm doing is spending 99% of time talking about the problem, where is my mind? The problem. What I'm doing is that I'm in a sense saying, okay, can I open up the thing? God, can I see you here through the problem? You know, what I'm trying to do is literally find and see God through the problem. And the question is, are we looking to see God through our need? This is the ultimate reality, and I'm seeing God? Or what does God want us to do? He wants us to see our need through him. Now, how do we do that? Well, how we do that is through praise and worship. What we do is, in a sense, we need to, in a sense, take this to the cross. We need to put it before the cross. We need to be able to say, that's, that's Christ. That's his goodness. What can I remember about praise? Man, I remember he's the creator of all things. He's in charge of all things. I remember his goodness that he's shown to me over time. I remember that he's, you know, there's totally sovereign, that I put it before the cross. And then I remember not only that, but I think about his goodness to me over life. And man, if he's loved me so much that he died on the cross for me, how amazing that that is. I think about in the course of my life, there have been numerous times that I've been seriously worried about things and he's always come through. He's always been reliable. And suddenly I put it before the cross and I back up and I look at the cross and the problem hasn't changed. The problem hasn't gotten any smaller. But my perspective of the problem has changed. Where before it's right in front of me and it's all that I'm thinking about and I'm still overwhelmed and suddenly I'm thinking about the cross and I spend some time to praise and worship not because God needs me to do it but because I need me to do it. Because I need to back up and say, God, you're sovereign, you're in charge. It literally is, I can come, God, I've got this problem, can you handle it? 
But if I take a big take back and say, okay, God, you are all powerful, you are loving, you are in charge of all things, you created all things, you hold all things together, you, you literally know every atom that is in the world, God, you're, you, know, you are without limits and, and you're good to me, you love me and you, Jesus died on the cross for me, you saved me, you've been reliable to me, not only throughout my whole life, you've been reliable to every believer through all of human history. God, I got a problem, do you think you can handle it? You see how it changes things? And so God is calling us to this because that's what we need. Now, okay, let's go back to Ephesians 3. How does this relate to Ephesians 3? Well, if you look at Ephesians 3, what is it teaching us to do? To pray, to bring a request. Only here it's not about a request of our problem or a crisis. It's a specifically a request saying, God, I cannot believe how loved I am, how valuable I am. And it's teaching us about the importance of praise and believing God's love. That's why it's there at the end of that prayer. It's teaching us something about how we're to pray this prayer. Again, remember the danger that anytime we pray about anything, we become too focused on the problem that we have so that it becomes our defining reality. We need to step back and not be focused on that, but to see on God. Now, what is Paul teaching us here? Pray for strength that God would give us the ability to believe. Why do we struggle with that? Because I don't believe it. I don't believe I'm valuable. I don't believe I have something to offer. I don't believe that I'm really lovable. And so what happens in our prayers is we become the primary focus of our prayers. And by that, it's not just we're praying for a need. We're supposed to do that. But what I mean by that is that there's a sense that our, our sense of what is real is defined by more by, by what we believe about ourselves than what we believe about God. What I think is real is defined about my doubts. So it's not about a box, it's about a mirror. So I come to God and I say, okay God, I know, I know I'm your masterpiece. I know you say that in, 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 in Ephesians 2.10 and, and I know that you wanna use me for my ministry but, but God, man, look at all the places that I failed you in ministry, this, you can't use this. Do you see how flawed this is? And, and God, I, I know that you say that you love me dearly, that I'm great value, but I don't think I'm lovable. And here, let me tell you all the things that I, other people have said about me. Let me tell you all the places that I failed. God, this isn't lovable. And so what we do is that we struggle. You know, God, I know that you say in Ephesians 1.11 that you will turn everything out and redeem it for something that is good. God, you don't know what happened. You don't know where I've been abused. You don't know how that scarred me. You couldn't ever use this. This is limited. And what happens is we're praying, but our ultimate reality is what we're looking in here. We're spending all our time talking about us, our limits, our failures. And we're looking, and why do we have a hard time believing God? Because we look at this and we say, God, I can't believe it. And what does he call us to do? He's calling us to change the focus from our limits to God's power. That's why in this prayer he said, okay, pray that God would give you the strength. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. So when you pray that God gives you the strength, that what you realize is, okay, instead of just praying that and then arguing with yourself about all these reasons why it can't happen, okay, let's take the mirror and let's take it to the same place we took the box. Okay, we're gonna take this to the foot of the cross. God, this is my struggle, but you know what? I need to remember that now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all I can think or imagine. And if you can do immeasurably more than all that I think or imagine, maybe you can do that in my life. 
And so I look at this and you say, you're the sovereign one. You're the one that, you know, that, you know, that took Paul and, and you made this guy that was a, a you know, killer of, of people and you somehow made him an apostle. You took David who was a nobody and used him to kill Goliath. God, you're the one who's created all, all things and you say that I'm your masterpiece. And not only that, I look at how you have not only worked in other people's lives in my life, God, I remember how I'm loved and suddenly I back away and instead of having the mirror in front of me, I'm looking at the cross and the mirror hasn't changed but my perspective sure has. When I look at it at the foot of the cross, suddenly what was huge and overwhelming is suddenly totally different. You see, because you look at that and you say, it's not defined by my, me, by my failure. It's about God. All right, let's even go a step further. Because sometimes you hear people say, but you know, I'm nothing, I'm dirt. You ever feel that way? All right, let me encourage you. You are dirt, literally. Well, okay. Genesis. What did God create us out of? Dirt. God took dirt and he took it and he formed a body and then he breathed into that body and suddenly that which was dirt suddenly became the masterpiece of his all creation. Now, was it the dirt that made it wonderful? No. God could take dirt and he can make it his masterpiece. And what you need to realize, that's the same thing. I feel like I'm dirt. Okay, well, let just God blow in you because he could take dirt and he can make it alive. And it doesn't matter how ugly or bad your dirt is. You know, the fact is, it doesn't, you know, he said, well, yeah, I'm really bad dirt. He can, he can do, take any dirt. And he blows into us and he suddenly brings life where there was death. Or you could say, but I'm nothing, I have nothing to offer. You don't understand. All right, let's go back to Genesis. Go outside at night and look at the stars. Look at the beauty and majesty of the universe. What did God make that out of? Nothing. Go look at, at, you know, go outside, go in the mountains, look at the majesty of the mountains. What did God make that out of? Nothing. But he went to nothing and he said, let it be. So when you look at that, God plus nothing is majesty. And if you look at it and say, but I have nothing to offer, okay, great. Let me show you the kind of stuff that God does with nothing. And if the thing is that if you're focused on the nothing, on the dirt, on the failure, on your limitations, you're gonna sit there and you say, but I can't believe, I can't believe. But if you back up and you remember, this is the God that does amazing things with nothing. This is the God that brings life out of dirt. This is the God who brings great value out of things that were valueless. Suddenly I realize it doesn't matter what I think about myself. If I back away and remember who God is, the fact is when I see it in the context of the cross, it totally changes things. So God is calling us to be able to fight these prayers, to pray these prayers, to say, God, I pray that you would do these things that I could never do myself but God, even as I pray that prayer, help me not to pray looking at myself and my own limitations and, and my own weaknesses and my own failures. And, because then I would look at it and say, but you could never use this. But if I step back and I remember, no, this is the God that makes life out of dirt and brings you know, universes out of nothing, well, then I'm in really good company because God plus nothing means a whole lot. So what does this mean? How do we find God's power through praise? My friends, there's so many areas that this could apply. 
you know, we need to look at this and we need to pray. God calls us to come and, and to pray that he would give us these things. But there are times you say, but I couldn't, God couldn't ever use me and you don't know my limitations and you don't know my past and my failures. And let God take them. Let God redeem them. Let him transform your scars into unique marks of beauty that he uses for good. You see, because it's not about you. It's not about, you know, about your works and your performance and how good you are. It's literally just coming and saying, God, I bring my nothingness. You breathe on it and you do the miracle. Um, you know, I talked to several people who last week even were talking about just concern for unbelieving family members. I said, man, I'm praying for them and I get discouraged. And okay, well, let's see it, see it there. Yeah, they're hostile to the gospel. Okay, bring it before the cross. That's gonna change everything. You know why? Because even on that, I can sit there and pray for the person, and if, and if they are in front of me, if I'm thinking about them and their hostility, I'm gonna say, if they're never gonna believe, I'm gonna get discouraged. Or if I'm thinking about myself in the mirror, how do I talk them into this? I don't know what to say. I'm gonna get discouraged. If I bring it before the cross and I say, okay, this is the God who breathes life into things that are dead. This is the God who took the apostle Paul that's going out to kill a bunch of Christians, meets them on the road, and turns them into a spiritual leader of the church. And if God can do that, okay, God, here's my person that I have need. And you know what? Suddenly, when I look at the cross, I have great hope. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna say, God, you're the one who's able to do immeasurably more than all I can think or imagine. And the more that I realize that, the more I'm gonna bring it before you and the more I'm gonna say, okay, God, help me just to go be faithful and let's sit back and let's let you see, do some miracles. It may not be in the, my time, but you know what? You're a miracle working God that brings life out of dead stuff. And then what a privilege to be a part of that. And one of the great challenges that we have is ultimately then say in this prayer, God, then how do I believe what you say about me is true? God, that I'm really that loved, that I'm really chosen by you, that, that everything that, that I believed about myself from my past is false, but Father, what you say about me, that I'm loved, that I'm valued, that I'm treasured, that's the real truth. That I'm a, your masterpiece, your workmanship, that you want to use me for good works. That's the real truth. God, help me to believe that and realize that even as we do that, it's not trying harder, being good, somehow figuring it out yourself. It's ultimately saying, God, all I do is that I bring my need. I bring my nothingness. I just come up and I say, here's some dirt, blow on it and do the miracle. And that's when he works. The more that we back away from who we are and the more that we focus on him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can think or imagine. See, the more courage we have to come and ask, the more courage we have to come and bring that brokenness and say, okay, God, here it is. You do the miracle. Now, last week we ended with, uh, in the ending song, just even saying, how do we do this practically? What, what, is, what is the application? It's prayer. It's coming and saying, God, I just bring my need. Um, and there's something to, again, it's not that there's anything magical about, you know, going up in a church service, or, but there is something powerful about experiencing this in the context of community. And that's what even Paul says here in, in, in verse 17. He says, you now being rooted and established in love, being in the context of Christian community, that God in that context would give you the strength to understand these things. So in a moment, the worship team's going to come and they're going to lead us in song and, and we're going to stand and sing. But at that same time, I want to encourage you. 
you know, if God's speaking to you, if you just have this thing to say, okay, I've got, and it, it doesn't have to be major. It's not like, okay, you know, it's just saying we're all struggling. And God, here's that problem that I need to bring before the cross. Here's the, the believing this about myself and I need to put it before the cross. Here's this unbelieving friend or family member. I need to bring it before the cross. God, here's this thing that I just need you to do that I can't do. The gospel is just learning to apply that truth to all areas of life. And the church is a place where it should be safe for us to do that together. And that is it for this week's message. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us a text to 330-644-6121. Easter is almost here, and we have a lot of great things planned for Easter Sunday, Good Friday, and we also have special events planned just for kids. Learn more about all of those in our service times at ccpl.life connect. There, you can also send in prayer requests. We would love to pray for you. Have a blessed Lord's Day, and we'll see you next week.